First of all, I'd like to express my delight that all of you have come here to this place in this way, that is, in search of the Dhamma, in order to have the Dhamma to aid us in the living of our lives. Further, we'd like to point out that this time of day is very appropriate for studying Dhamma. It's a time when the mind is open and ready to receive the Dhamma. Throughout the day, we are filling up our minds over and over again with all kinds of things until the, our teacup is filled to the brim and there's no more room for anything else to enter. So this is why we, we speak at this time of day. Please make your minds ready for receiving the Dhamma. Most flowers open at <clears throat> around this time of day in the early morning at dawn. The Buddha awakened under the Bodhi tree just before dawn. So this is a time that's very appropriate for our minds to open and to receive that which is profound, that which is subtle, namely the Dhamma. The topic of today's talk is called, is finding the coolest point in the iron furnace which is blazing with intense heat. Finding the coolest point in the intensely burning furnace. Many people think it's crazy to look for the cool point in a burning furnace, one that's very intensely hot. And they think it's even crazier when we say that this body is that very burning furnace. Nonetheless, whether they think it's crazy or not, this is what we're going to speak about. <clears throat> How to find the coolest, the coolest point in the middle of the blazing iron furnace of this body. Some, in Buddhism, we sometimes speak using metaphors and similes. And occasionally these metaphors are quite strong or intense, such as the one we're using this morning. If you understand this metaphor that we're using today, then you will understand Buddhism. There's a quote from the Buddha in the Pali language, which we'd like you to hear. Which means, he was speaking to some monks, and so, monks, all things are blazing. All things are blazing or burning. Injang away sapang adi tang, which means monks. All these, all these blazing things. What are they? <clears throat> this word ati ati tang is the name of the is another name for the sun, and so the meaning here is something that's flaming that's bursting with flames or blazing with flames. Jakung away atitang, the eyes are blazing or flaming. Rupa atita, all, all the, the forms are blazing. 
จักขุวิญญาณังอาทิตัง I consciousness is blazing จักขุสัมผัสโซอาทิตโต I contact is flaming blazing ยำปิทังจักขุสัมผัสระปัจจยาอุปัจจติเวทยิตัง Which means any any feelings arising, any feelings arising from that eye contact are blazing. And then, with what are they hot? With what are they blazing? They are blazing with the fires of lust, the fires of hatred, and the fires of delusion. This passage continues with quite a bit of detail, but what we've repeated so far. Is enough to get the point, which is that the senses, our six senses, and the things that um, come into contact, which make contact with our senses, and then the feelings that arise due to sense experience. All these things are are flaming. Are blazing with intense heat, and the same thing is true of all six senses—not just the eyes, but also the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body sense, and even the mind sense. All of all the senses and the things related to them, and the feelings dependent on them—all of these are blazing, are flaming. When we speak of the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind, and all the things connected with them, we're speaking of nothing else but this this very body here, of these bodies, these lives of ours. And so the message is that these bodies of ours, these lives, are are blazing with intense heat. A very valuable word, which will be of great benefit to you once you understand it, is the word ayata nikadama, which means the things associated with the things connected to and dependent upon the ayata na. The ayata na are the senses: the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And so the ayatanika dhammas are all the dhammas or things connected and related to the senses. This is a word well worth your remembering and studying. So the ayatanika dhammas are the things associated with the senses, and we're going to go through what these various things are. They they follow a They come in stages or levels of development. The inner ayatana or sense senses are the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. The outer ayatana are the the pairs, the things that match up with the Sense organs, namely forms, sounds, odors, flavors, physical sensations, and mind objects. Then there is the consciousness, the knowing of the sense objects. This consciousness called vijnana. There are six kinds. 
eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose, tongue, body, and mind consciousness, one for each of these six ayatana. When there are these six kinds of sense consciousness, then there are also the six kinds of atsa or contact, which means sense contact, sensual experience. When there are these six kinds of contact, then there are six kinds of feelings. The feelings dependent upon the eyes, the ears, the nose, tongue, body, and mind. If we count the different groups or sets, then there are the, the first is the inner senses, the sense organs, then the outer senses, the sense objects, then the six kinds of sense consciousness, then the six kinds of contact, and finally the six kinds of feeling. There are five, five sets, each having six members. And altogether there are 30 things. Five sets of six means 30 members or elements. This is a general principle throughout the, the Buddhist scriptures. The Buddha talked about these 30 things over and over again. All the Dhamma he taught had to do with these, these five groups or these 30 things. Now these, <clears throat> these things shouldn't be so very difficult for you to observe yourself. You can just close your eyes and observe for yourself right now the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind. All of these six senses are right here. And then the sense objects connected with the six senses, the six kinds of sense consciousness, the six kinds of sense contact, and the different kinds of feelings arising due to the sense contact or the feelings we have towards sensual experience. These you can all experience, observe, explore right now because these are the things that make up life. Our life right now are made up of these ayatanika dhammas. Sometimes, sometimes the Buddha spoke of these as being the world. Sometimes he said, this, this is the world, these things are the world. And the meaning is that these things associated with the senses are everything. All of the world, all of our life are included in these ayatanika dhammas. Even the most materialistic worldly person, when they speak, when he or she speaks of everything, they're still talking about things that are included in these 30 elements, these five sets, each having six members. For example, when an ordinary person speaks of the earth or the ground, that's included in rupa or form, that which we, we see through the eyes. Or if you touch it, then it's included in potapa, which are the physical sensations. It's the physical object that is experienced. And the same with sounds, all the different sounds in this world, all the different odors, all the possible tastes, all the different sensual, um, tactile experiences, and all the possible objects of consciousness in the mind. <clears throat> all of everything of the world 
everything of the ordinary person's world is included in these 30 things. So this is why the Buddha said that everything is blazing, everything is on fire, because these 30 things make up everything in our lives. And then when we speak of the, the three kinds of fires, which these, all the, which everything is hot with these fires, there's the fire of lust, which means all the problems due to the positive. And then there's the fire of hatred, which are all the problems in our lives connected with the negative. And then there's the fire of delusion, which is all the problems we have because of wondering whether something is positive or negative. All the problems coming from our indecision or doubt, is this positive or this is this negative. There are these three fires. They've been burning you all along, although you may not have spoken of them in such a way. But now we're advising you to speak of them in this new way as the fire of lust, the fire of hatred and the fire of delusion, which mean all the problems we have because of the positive, because of the negative, and because of our undecision or indecision or uncertainty whether something is positive or negative. We're greedy, possessive, jealous about all the things we take to be positive all the time. We feel anger and fear, hatred towards the things we take to be negative all the time. And then we experience doubt, confusion, uncertainty about the things which all the time as well. These three, these three conditions, these three kinds of states are troubling us all the time, sometimes consciously, sub, some, sometimes semi or subconsciously. But all of these, all three of these are going on all the time. So our life is troubled by these three things, by lust, by hatred, and by delusion. And this is happening all the time, both fully conscious and semi-conscious. This is going on over and over again, whether we're aware of it or not. And so this is the meaning of the words that everything is blazing and burning with the fires of greed or of lust, hatred, and delusion. Now this is the language of metaphor. It can be very direct and can give us a very clear picture of what we're we're speaking about. Now all of these fires are are blazing within us, although many may be unaware of it. In fact, many people, rather than seeing things this way, are quite infatuated with these fires, especially the positive. People are quite big on the positive. So they also give a lot of attention to the negative, although these are the sparks which start the fires burning. These are burning over and over again, 
whether we're aware of it or not. <coughs> if you look within yourself, if you look inside and see for yourself the burning of these fires, then you will be, then you will understand the Dhamma. You don't have to, you needn't learn the Dhamma. You can't learn the Dhamma from books or from hearing someone speak. The only way one can learn and understand the Dhamma is by looking within oneself and seeing this burning that's touched off by the positive and the negative. So please please look inside and become aware of what's going on in there. The next metaphor is that lust is a wet fire and then hatred is a dry fire and finally delusion is a dark fire. There are wet fires, dry fires, and dark fires. If you understand this metaphor, you'll understand Dhamma easily. If you have yet to see that these things are fires, then you will have difficulty in understanding Buddhism. You'll have trouble understanding Dhamma. But when you look and see that the positive is a fire, that the negative is a fire, and that uncertainty over whether something is positive or negative, that that too is a fire. When you recognize these fires, then you will have no difficulty understanding Dhamma. Now these fires don't just burn the individual. It's not like these fires are just inside everyone. These fires are also blazing all over the world. These fires are burning up the world. This is quite obvious these days. There are numerous examples. For example, when there is the fire of the positive, then one, it leads to selfishness. And because of the selfishness, a person acts in ways that are setting fires and causing problems all around one. And so these fires within set the world on fire as well. And so we can quite easily say the world is blazing with these fires. But it turns out that we like these fires quite a bit. We're quite happy with the fire, especially of the positive. We think it's really great, all this positive burning. When there is something positive, it leads to, to wanting it. It leads to a kind of love, to a lustfulness, and which in turn becomes selfishness. And then we act in all kinds of selfish ways, speaking, thinking, and physical actions which are thoroughly selfish, and that means very hot. This is the kind of thing that happens because we're so big on the positive. We don't recognize it as a fire. We don't see it as it burns us. And so we think it's quite wonderful. We're very happy with it. In spite of the fact that this fire of positive leads to all kinds of foolish love, leads to a kind of ignorant love. And then sometimes it even leads to anger. When we don't get the positive, when we don't get what we want, 
we become angry. And so the one fire ignites another fire, and the fire spreads through selfishness and selfish action. We'd like to raise a few examples of the fires which are commonly burning us in life. We'll mention about ten of them. Please listen carefully. The first is love. Love is a fire that people are crazy about. Very, this is a very popular fire. Although it scorches and roasts our hearts over and over again, but people really like it, getting scorched and burnt by love. The next is anger. All you need to do is remember the last time you were angry, and you'll see immediately that it's a fire. The next is hatred. Hatred, which is irrational, has no no basis. The funny thing about hatred is that it it bites the hater. It bites the one who is hating. The object of the hate doesn't feel a thing. The next is fear, irrational, senseless fear, unconscious fear that troubling us all the time. This is the fourth example. The next is excitement. This is one that everybody likes very much. People go out and drink to get excited, or they do drugs, or they go dancing, or they, they find games to play in order to get excited. Then there's worry and anxiety about things that haven't even happened yet. We take something small and we think about it so much that we blow it up into something big, and then we worry and fret about some just some small thing that hasn't even happened yet. And then we long after things which are past. Things that are gone, that already happened, we we dwell on them, we miss them, we long after them, which burns us just the same. Then there is envy. Nobody can be better than us. We just can't stand it if anyone is better than us in any way. And then stinginess, miserliness possessiveness, to cling to things, not at all willing to share them, not even wanting others to look at them. And then there's a special kind of possessiveness or jealousy, which in Thai is called hun, which is sexual jealousy. It's the jealousy one feels about one's wife or husband, about one's lover. So to review them again, there is love, hatred, anger, fear, excitement, worry about the, the future, longing after the past, envy, jealousy, possessiveness, and then sexual jealousy. These are happening to us over and over again, although we seldom pay any attention and are very aware of it. And even further, we we tend to like these things. We're very caught up and infatuated, with, in spite of the fact that all these fires are burning us. We think they're great. They give us a rush, a thrill, and so we stay more and more trapped in these fires as time goes on. We are slaves. We are enslaved by the positive and the negative. The positive and negative are causing us problems all the time. 
the positive makes us have one kind of problem and the negative makes us have another kind of problem. Because of this slavery, we're unable to exist in peace. These, the positive and negative are constantly forcing us to get into all kinds of, of trouble. And this will continue. This enslavement will carry on until we, we can become the master, until we become masters of positive and negative so that they have no more power over us and that instead we have power over them. Only then can we become free. Only then can we escape from the problems which the positive and negative are forcing on us. In the Jewish Bible, this fact is made quite clear right from the very start. The danger of the positive and the negative is, is pointed out from the beginning of human existence. God warned Adam and Eve that they should never eat from the fruit of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them if they ate that fruit that they would die. But then Adam and Eve didn't listen. They went and ate the fruit, they ate the apple, and ever since they've been having problems because of the positive and because of the negative. God warned them from the start, but because of this original sin, they've been having problems ever since. This right at the start of the Bible makes it very clear of the danger, about the danger of the positive and the negative. Now because the Christians also believe this or follow the Bible, it means that to be a good Christian, one must have a mind that is above, beyond the influence of the positive and the negative. To be a good Jew, one must follow God's com original command which is to not be trapped in the positive and the negative. If one obeys God's wish, then one is a good Jew, a good Christian, and also a good Buddhist, Buddhist because the heart of Buddhism, the essence of Buddhism is having a mind, a heart that is above and beyond the power of the positive and negative. In the East, the, the message is the same. In Taoism of Lao Tzu, the teaching of, of Lao Tzu in China, is that one should not attach to yin and yang. If one clings to yin or yang, that's the same as attaching to the positive and the negative. As soon as one attaches to them, then all kinds of troubles are pulled down on our heads. So even in the Far East, there is this message to not attach to positive and negative. If one is a slave to the positive, one must love. If one is a slave to the negative, one must hate. If one is a slave, one is constantly being pushed around by these emotions. And we have to struggle and fight all the time. It's too much for us. It drives us crazy. Creates us great, creates great pain and misery for us. And so the teaching of Taoism, of Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, and Buddhism is the same. All of these traditions teach that we should be above and beyond the power. We must raise our minds above the influence of positive 
and negative. As soon as we attach to the positive or the negative, a flame bursts out. As soon as there is attachment to one of these, the flames burst forth and life becomes a blaze, becomes a torment. Whenever, whenever we attach to the positive and the negative, this life becomes a burning furnace, a blazing furnace instantly. At Christmas time or on birthdays or when people go to the church or the temple to get a blessing, they're always given something positive. We're always wishing people the positive because we don't know that we're just wishing them to be burnt, to get blasted and scorched by these fires. We mean well, but we're just wishing people more burning. Another fire which you are able to see, but you never bother to, <clears throat> to look, is the fire of time. <clears throat> Always having to be running, competing and chasing after time. The more we attach to positive and negative, the more desire there is. The more desire there is, the faster time runs. When we have a lot of desire, then time runs very fast. It's so fast we can never keep up. When our desires are strong, then time is always way ahead of us. And this creates lots of suffering for us because we can never keep up, because we're always behind this time, we are often made miserable. This is because we attach to the positive and the negative. Please understand the meaning of time in Buddhism. The ordinary time that you have and know about is an external kind of time the time of clocks and the changing day, which isn't any kind of a problem for us. But you need to understand the meaning of time as we understand it in Buddhism, because this time is a tremendous problem for us. In Buddhism, time is the, the gap or the separation between desire and the object of desire. As soon as we desire something, there is a separation between the desire and what we want. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any desire. And this, this gap is time. The stronger the desire, the faster time runs and the more it, it torments us. So this is the meaning of time in Buddhism. The way to end time is to end desire. If you kill the desire, then time ceases. If we stop desiring positive and negative things, then time ends and we don't have to go chasing after it anymore. To understand this kind of time, we need to look within to see how we're attaching to the positive and the negative. Now, as soon as there's desire, there is time. But once desire gets its object, then time ends. But then usually another desire arises. And so time is constantly recreated because of our ignorance. But if we just end desire, it doesn't matter whether we get the object, just end desire and time disappears and then we're free. 
this we do by by having a mind that is beyond the influence of positive and negative. A very easy way to remember this is that when we desire, time eats us. When there's no desire, we eat time. When there is, when we desire, whether in a positive way or a negative way, then time eats us. But as soon as that desire is finished, is gone, then we eat time. This is the way it is, according to the principles of Dhamma. This is how the Dhamma is. Now, the, the only one who can eat time continuously is the one who has no desire, the, 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 the desireless person. And the, the one who is desireless is namely the arahant, the perfected human being, the person who is beyond all ignorance. Now for us who are not yet arahant, those of us who are ordinary people, we need to follow in the footsteps of the arahant and learn to become master masters of desire to get control over the positive and the negative so that these fires will stop burning us so that time won't be able to eat us the only way to do this is to overcome desire to let go of desire another way of looking at this is that however much we attach to the positive and the negative, life will burn us, will scorch us that much. However little we attach to the positive and the negative, life will stop burning us that much. So, it's up to us. The more we cling and are trapped by the, and enslaved by the positive and the negative, the more life will burn us. The less we attach, then the less, then life will stop, will stop burning us that much. So this is how we can find the, the coolest point within the blazing furnace of life. The next question is, where are we going to put out the fire? This is something that people generally overlook. We put out the fire at the fire. It's so simple that people overlook this. Wherever the fire is, that is where we must put it out. Whatever is burning, that is where we must discover the, the extinguishing of the fire. So wherever something is on fire, that is where we must find coolness. People don't see that we find the end of fire within the fire we discover the quenching, the cooling of the fire in the fire itself. This is the meaning of finding the coolest point within the blast furnace. So in the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind, when the sense objects, sense consciousness, sense contact, and the feelings when these are the things that are burning, when the senses and the things connected with them are the things that are on fire, that's where we must put out the fire. We put out the fire in the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind, and the things connected with them, consciousness, sense experience, 
and the feelings. This is the same as if you have a blast furnace, you have to put out the fire in the blast furnace. That's the only way to cool it down. And in the same way, we need to extinguish the fires that are blazing and burning our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind, and the things dependent upon the senses. No matter how hot a blast furnace can be, no matter how many thousands of degrees Celsius a blast furnace can get, one can cool it down by by lessening the fuel. If one puts in less and less fuel, then the blast furnace will steadily cool down until it can, the fire can go out and it can cool down totally. In the same way, we can practice to lessen the attachment to the positive and the negative. As high as the flames can, can blaze, they can cool down just the same. The more we attach to the positive and the negative, the higher the flames will shoot. The less we attach to the positive and the negative, the more the flames will cool down. And so we can practice this way. We can lessen the attachment to positive and negative so that the flames will lessen, will decrease steadily until one day they go out. There's a statement which we doubt anybody will object to, which is that the more we decrease foolishness, the more intelligence will increase. Just decrease, however much we decrease stupidity, the more that wisdom will increase. In the same way, we, we lessen the foolishness of attaching to positive and negative. And then the coolness and the wisdom will increase the same amount. So this is a natural law. Lesson ignorance and wisdom increases. So all you have to do is stop feeding the fire. Stop sticking more wood, more fuel in the fire. Just stop foolishly, stupidly attaching to the positive and negative and the fire will lessen by itself. Just stop feeding the fire and it will steadily cool down. This is a natural principle. The only, we don't have to do anything special. Just stop feeding the fire. Whenever positive and negative come looking for us, don't don't receive them, don't welcome them. Embarrass them and chase them away. Whenever the positive and negative come knocking at our doors, don't open the door. Embarrass them and send them running away. We need to do this by becoming masters of the positive and negative. Don't fall under their power. Don't be tricked by them. When the mind is no longer deceived by the positive and negative, then none of the, the fires can blaze up. None of these fires can scorch us. So embarrass positive and negative. Chase them away. Don't let them trick you anymore. In our Dhamma language, we would just say, don't add ignorance to the contact. Contact or patsai is the sense experience. Don't add 
any foolishness or ignorance to that experience. When there is some sensual experience, seeing, hearing, smelling, or whatever, don't stupidly cling to it as positive and negative. Don't fall into liking and disliking. If we don't add any ignorance to the experience, then the fires can't can catch, they can't get going. But as soon as we foolishly grasp at positive and negative, as soon as this ignorance enters into the experience, then the fires are ignited. So don't add ignorance to the contact. Just let it be natural contact. There's no need for any ignorance or stupidity. Further, we say don't add desire to the feeling. Once there is contact, feeling arises. Ordinarily, as soon as there is feeling, desire follows. Desire is, becomes a blind reaction when we are ignorant. If the feeling is attractive, pleasant, lovable, then we want it. There's positive desire. If the feeling is unattractive, unpleasant, just uncomfortable, then we want to kill it. And there's negative desire. Ordinarily, these positive and negative desires are just automatic blind reactions of the ignorant mind. But if we don't add this desire, then feeling remains just feeling, and the fires are cooled. By not being stupid about feeling, by not wanting pleasant feelings and wanting to kill unpleasant feelings, by not getting caught up in being infatuated with, obsessed with feelings, then desire doesn't get added to them. When desire isn't added to feelings, then things will remain cool. Feeling can come in positive forms and negative forms, which leads to positive and negative desires. When the feeling is positive, then we want it. We want to have it or get it or keep it. When the feeling is negative, we want to kill it. And so there are positive and negative desires. And these positive and negative desires lead to positive and negative actions. When there's positive desires, we, we search for the object of the desire. When there's negative desire, we, we act to destroy things. And so there are many positive and negative actions in this world which keep the world blazing and on fire. Because we're deceived by the positive and negative of feeling, feeling becomes ignorant. When we're tricked by the positive or negative appearance of a feeling, then we get that feeling becomes is ignorant. An ignorant feeling then leads to desire, which is always ignorant. And then all kinds of ignorant, selfish actions arise. But when we're no longer ignorant about feeling, when we're no longer tricked by the positive and negative aspect of feeling, then the fires stop blazing. Life is no longer a big fire. The most evil thing about this all is that this infatuation or being tricked by the positive and negative leads to self. The self or the ego arises because we've been tricked by the positive and the negative. 
And once the self appears, then there follows selfishness. And selfishness is what causes all the problems in this world. And all suffering, all dukkha, is due to this selfishness. But if we are not tricked, if we don't get stupid about the positive and the negative, then self doesn't arise. It's the, the concept of self or the ego doesn't appear. And then there's no selfishness and no suffering. This self or ego is our biggest problem. But when we're no longer tricked by the positive and the negative, then this, this problem ends. Now, the self is both elusive and delusive. It's an illusion which can delude us. Now, this self, although it can delude us, isn't itself real. It's just an illusion or a uh, hallucination, something we imagine. It doesn't really exist, and it doesn't exist all the time. We think of a self that exists continuously, but if, in fact, the concept of self, the self, the ego, arises just only when we are tricked by the positive and the negative. When we're tricked by positive and negative, ego is born. When we're no longer tricked, ego dies. If we aren't tricked by positive and negative, then ego, the self, doesn't get born. If we're intelligent, if we're wise regarding positive and negative, then this, this fire doesn't get started. So we need to govern or um, control the positive and the negative so that the ego doesn't get born. So this is how Buddhism looks on the self. Other, other traditions, other um, theologies may think of the self differently. That's up to them, they're welcome to think whatever they wish. But in Buddhism, we, we recognize that wherever the self appears, there is the, the basis for the fire, there is the fuel for the fire. That's where the fire is born. And so Buddhism seeks to remove, to eliminate the self, so there's nothing to burn anymore. There's no, there's no place to catch on fire. We, no matter what others will say, we say that the self is where the fire starts. The self is what burns. If there's self, then life is burning and scorching. But remove the self. Remove this illusion no longer be deceived by the concept of self and then the fires cannot happen. This is how we view the self in Buddhism. <clears throat> so this is something we can, we can watch in ordinary life just by observing the senses and how and what happens with them one can see all this for oneself. Naturally, or in reality, there's just the activity of the senses. But we can, with mindfulness, we can observe how ignorance complicates things. When the, when the, when the eye sees something, in fact, it's just the nervous system the part of the nervous system associated with the eye is seeing. But because of ignorance, it becomes I see or ego sees. When the, the nervous system associated with the ear hears a sound, because of ignorance, it's taken to be 
ego hears, me hears. When, when the nervous system connected to the nose smells an odor, then it becomes ego smell. When the tongue tastes something, it's not just the tongue, it becomes ego taste. When there's physical sensations through the body, it's not just the nervous system is feeling something, it becomes I feel, ego feel. And when a thought, a memory pops into the mind, it's not just the, the mind experiences, it becomes I experience, ego experiences. Because of ignorance, the sensitivity on all of the six sense doors is taken to be me, taken to be ego. Now, <clears throat> Buddhism has one attitude about the self. Other, other places may talk about the self differently. For example, there are many religions and teachings that insist there is a self or a soul or an atta, an atman, some kind of spirit, self, soul or something. They say this really exists, that somewhere in this body or in this life there is a soul or a self. Where Buddhism teaches there is only two things, body and mind. Life is made up of body and mind and that's all. There are others who insist that there's a third thing. There's body, there's mind, and there's the soul. Or they may call it the Atman or the Self. They may use somewhat different terms, but they're speaking there's a body, a mind, or a psyche, and then some kind of soul. Some of them teach this way. And what's kind of funny, some will even go and say that when we sleep, the soul or the self goes wandering around to astral planes or who knows where. And then in order to wake up, it has to come back. And if it doesn't come back, we, we never wake up. That's not the Buddhist teaching. This teaching of a third thing is not Buddhism. In Buddhism, there's just body and mind. That's, that's all. That's all we need. Another example is when a knife cuts a finger. When a knife cuts the finger, if there is ignorance, then it becomes the knife cut me, the knife cut ego. Now, in reality, there's just a finger with a nervous system, and a knife, and the knife cuts into the nerve, into the finger, it, it stimulates the nervous system, and pain is felt. It's a very natural, ordinary process. But while this happens, if there is ignorance, if there is the stupid idea of self, of me, then it becomes the knife cut me, or ego got cut. So this is why we say, don't be stupid at contact. When there is contact, don't be foolish and cling to it as me, as ego. If we stop being stupid at contact, then life will stop burning. Life won't blaze up into fires anymore. When we are foolish and cling to contact, as self, then the fire starts burning, the fire blazes. When we, when we end this ignorance, when we stop clinging to the contact as ego, then the fire ceases, the blazing ceases. So it comes down to this, whether we cling to contact as being me or not. No me, no fire. When there's me, there's lots of fire, things are very hot and painful. So, 
we ask all of you to not be stupid about feeling. Don't let feeling be taken over by ego and then life won't blaze, won't burn anymore. We'll be able to find the coolest point in the blast furnace. That's all for today's talk. <laughs> Please try and stay dry. Thank you for being good listeners. That's all for today. <laughs>